Um, Marshall Hogan. Whoa, that's one I haven't heard in a long time. Um, what is the name of the car outside your window? There is no car outside my window. Wrong, but that's what we're going to have to go with. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Pie Factory Podcast. Mm. <laughs> <coughs> And let's do that yeah. again. Okay. Um, I had a massive freaking headache tonight. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another... Let's do that again. Welcome, everybody, to another... Can't quite get this episode started. Hey, you better do that one again. Pie Factory Podcast. <sighs> welcome, everybody, to the Sean is an Asshole Podcast. Oh, wait a minute. That's the other show I do. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Pie Factory Podcast. Once again, from the irradiated wastelands near Morris, Illinois, this is Jimmy G. And uh, I don't know what I am in, but it's uh, uh, the Chicago and it's uh, Shine, I suppose. The County of Cook. Cook. Mm. Yes. That's where all the restaurants are, by the way, because they well, cook. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, um,. I remember back like in the mid '90s, early '90s. Emerald Lagasse had like a, a, a sitcom on That's NBC, right. and its tagline "Comedy That Cooks." I think it lasted for like six episodes before it was canceled. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. I never saw it. Neither did I. And I like Emerald, but yeah, everybody likes Emerald. But let's just face it: you can get the same exact things without his face on it at the food store for about ten dollars cheaper. That's true. So. We got a very special episode of Pie Factory Podcast tonight in that uh, we've got some guests. Some. Some guests. Shall uh, you want to introduce them or you want them to introduce themselves? Uh, let's have them introduce themselves, which is apparently a word now. Cool. And it is. So, uh, guest number one, uh, the one from Illinois. Will you sign in, please? They're both from. The one in Illinois. Hey guys, uh, hey, this is Bob. I used to run a BBS a long time ago. Hi, Bob. And I'm Andrew, and I used to be on that BBS a long time ago. Hi, Andrew. And Andrew is from Illinois, although he doesn't like to admit it anymore, and quite frankly, I can understand why. Yeah, and okay. Hey, try New Jersey sometime. Why do you think I came back? No, thank you. We just pretend New Jersey doesn't exist. I I did try it one weekend back in 2000 and left as soon as I could. So what are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, hey, it's glad I asked myself. Every now and then on the podcast, we uh, we bring up about, oh, the good old glory days of the BBS and uh, how Sean and I used to be on them and local BBSs. and And how we were very single at the time. Oh, yeah. But... We decided, you know what? Hey, let's do a whole episode about it. And now, I, right now, frankly, I think this is going to be a pretty bad idea. But we decided to have a couple little guests, people we knew from the BBSs, people we met. And uh, yeah, so just to talk and reminisce about the good old days. Uh. So, yeah. But since we don't have any friends here, we got Bob and Andrew. Yeah, my jokes are falling flat tonight. Well, let me rephrase that. More so than, more so than normal. Dub in the laugh track later, please. <laughs> so, um, so guests, uh, yes. oh, first of sorry. all, welcome, welcome, thank you for joining us, and, uh, why the heck is there a car parked across the street? Oh, he's getting in his car. Okay. I was asking you about no, that. this is someone else. They stopped What is and... the name of that car? 
What is that? That's an SUV of some sort. I don't know. My car back in the BBS days was the SS Minnow. Oh, was that the one that got uh, totaled by nuns? No, that was a different car. That was a different car. Ah. The SS Minnow was the first of two Mustangs. Yes, the SS Minnow was even classier than the, the, the nun Mustang. It was the, the Mustang II electric boogaloo. I liked the Mustang II. That was a nice one. Took that to Cornerstone Fest. But we've got stories about that we won't go into. You've actually taken both Mustangs to Cornerstone Fest, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I don't recall. I may have. Any rate, so um, any rate, let's just start off here. Uh, all four of us were on the BBS in the BBS scene in the Joliet, Illinois metropolitan sanitary district thingy. I don't know. In the in the Joliet, Illinois area, we're all from different parts of the the area. Although Sean and I actually turned out, we lived a couple of doors down from each other, but. Um, we had a plethora of BBSs. We had a very strong Atari presence, which we've mentioned on the show before for some reason. And it was before my time. Well, yeah, we had at least two. We had the bullpen, which was actually based out of Morris. And we had Alcatraz, which was run by the Warden, which that one was on an Atari ST. And then we had Sack Base, which I believe that was on an Atari 8, but that was run by uh, the late General Jack D. Ripper. He was... Um, crazy in his republicanism but uh he uh he was just, he was still a great guy though i mean he had charisma i don't care if he was sick i was talking about his car he had a he had a 1985 dodge charisma oh i remember slippery jim saying that uh general ripper was uh ex-law enforcement yes oh general he, ripper yes okay. general ripper all right I, yes. he was uh, ex Delia police yes yes yeah okay i actually and, went to uh, his house uh, a couple of times and uh yes he was definitely ex-police uh he, he showed me a few now. uh remnants of his uh policing career for the record wasn't it vidfreak who came up or coined the idea of uh joliet modem land it might be so. yeah i think so yes i believe so yeah well, he did have the modem land carrier, the, right, the, uh, the, the periodical scene, yeah. that he published twice, I think. No, yeah, I thought he was the, more than that. I have a PDF version of one of them, I think the first one, and I'll be happy to share that in the uh, show notes at piefactorypodcast.com. I have not seen one of those in a long time. The, you know, there were some fine publications that came much later, uh, namely the Family Circus and uh, oh, man. the Ogre Network. Oh, the family circus was something I just did for fun because I am convinced that both that I invented the, this concept, but also that everybody had been doing it for decades. It was basically taking a family circus comic strip and replacing the caption. Then there was the uh, the the infamous dysfunctional family circus website, which which stole my idea. Yeah, which um, the the website's long gone. You can still find the archives. The guy decided to take. Uh, dysfunctional family circus down after talking to Bill Keen and uh, realizing that Bill was actually a really pretty nice guy who was actually quite funny. And um, so he took uh, he took the dysfunctional family circus down out of uh, respect for Bill Keen. So, what you know? was the name of uh, Sean Year magazine? Was that everything? Yeah, and, uh, that didn't. I, yeah, Everything's I on sale. That, honestly. No, the whole reason I did that was simply because I wanted, you, you go everywhere and you see these flyers that says, free, take one. I just wanted to see something that said, free, take one. Ah, hell, take two. <laughs> I think it was the everything's on sale one where where you, you put in, uh, hell, take two. I mean, that was the only reason I did that, to be quite honest. Nice. Other than that, it was just shovelware of nothings. And I love the, uh, 
the puzzles you had in there. And if you wanted the answer, dial one one nine hundred quizzes. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> See, because there's no Q and Z on a phone. Dial. Made a lot of money off that number too. Oh, I'll yeah. tell you what. So Bob, let's uh, let's let's start with you. So who were you on the BBSs, and what uh, what did you do? Well, as it, under the name Admiral, actually, I think I started in '86 and started dialing around BBSs. Eventually, decided to run my own, which. You know, a 15-year-old kid running a BBS, you know, it probably wouldn't ever happen this day and age. Probably all the privacy concerns and security issues. And it was a different time then. Not to mention the fact that it's uh, pretty difficult to set something up to Telnet. Oh, by the way, um, just in case it wasn't clear um, in the recording, uh, your handle was spelled A-D-N-A-R-E-L. Where does that name come from? It's actually from the book Many Waters. Uh, it's by Madeline El- Elingo, or I believe that's how you say her name. She's the same woman who wrote Wrinkle in Time. It's one of the sequels. Ah, okay. And I liked the book when I was, you know, in high school. And that I remember when you had your BBS up, Revelations, you originally started out as King Diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, named after the heavy metal singer. I think that's about when I joined, is when you converted from King Diamond and had your little St. Paul moment. Dad Rell. Yeah. That would have been Saint like, Paul what, 1990, 91, somewhere there? 89. 89? Yeah, okay, that actually... Okay, Sean, when did I sell you my first modem? That was in 1992. Okay. Okay. That was early 92, like March-ish. Yeah, you sold me this Three, crap it was a ton of Commodore 64 stuff. It was a 1200. Oh, was it? Because I started 17, on a 300 1200. Huh. Of course, as soon as I get a 1200, that's when everybody was already at 2400. Yeah. <laughs> I think 19.2 had just been starting to come out or something like that. Barely, yeah. 2400 was still the most common, I think. Yeah. When I first started the BBS scene, I was on a 300 baud modem. That, uh, yeah, interesting story. I had a, uh, well, there's a little bit of a backstory of me getting on, in, online. My parents bought me, I, I, I seriously, I, I, you know, back in the day, you saw all the the computers in in the stores, and you'd see the Atari display. And I fell in love. I wanted a, an Atari eight bit, and I thought I wanted like a six hundred cell because you know the the price of the eight hundreds were just you know too expensive at the debt at the time. So I kept begging my parents, begging, 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 and you know they finally decided they were going to get a computer for for the family in eighty four, and they went over to the local computer land shop. If you remember that. Mm-hmm. And they came home with a IBM PC Junior. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah, the gem of technology that is, that is. Mm-hmm. That I was ticked off at first because I had my heart set on a that 600 XL. You know, at the time, you know, I was reading all the computer magazines and they'd have all the programs to type in, you know, for Atari and Commodore and IBM. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And especially the the, vulner, the venerable PC Junior, the the uh, market champion that that was. Fast forward a year or two, IBM was apparently click, clearing out back stock of uh, those sidecars that the PC Junior had, and they were dev- they had a deal where you you could get a few of them for a song, and one of the choices was like extra memory. I think I went up to three hundred eighty four k. Ooh, oohs and ahs. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then the other option I got was the sidecar. Uh, actually, I don't think it was a sidecar. I think it was a card inside. 
uh, was a 300 baud modem. And IBM being IBM, they made it non-haze compatible. Oh, geez, of course. Uh, so that made for some interesting times. But uh, I don't know where. I think I might have been one of those things from the library where you, they had that list of BBSs. I ended up uh, finding it, the, the first BBS I logged on was uh, the Ingalls Park BBS, which is a C64 BBS, and followed that up by the 64 Infocom, which was like my first home. Mm-hmm. That kind of set the ball rolling. So 64, Commodore 64 BBS. Is, you guys are right. There was also you know a good, strong representation of... Uh, Atari BBS is out there, too. A lot of 8-bits. Not too much in the way of Apple. I mean, there was Dark Castle, but... and uh, Yeah, Sherwood Forest. Yeah, Sherwood Forest was run on an Apple. Yeah. But, that, that of was, course, that kind of made sense since that was the, the high school. Plainfield right. High School. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the hellhole I graduated from. Yeah, they had a BBS, and it kind of got blew away in the tornado, and they never restarted it. Oh, uh, really? That. That yeah. does actually does not surprise me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it is true. But uh, yeah, so um, a few years later, I decided I would wanted to run with BBS of my own, and uh, end up getting a copy of. Uh, I don't remember if you guys remember. Uh, actually, I got a fill in the blank. I actually upgraded from that crappy modem to a a Volks modem twelve hundred, little external modem that plugged in, and I. Um, Got a copy of the Genesis BBS software from. That's what it was. Yeah, from uh, the chairman over at uh, corporate headquarters. I strongly suspect it was a cracked version because I think all of you know, <laughs> Genesis were were uh, commercial software. But you know, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, I started it up, and uh, I had the novelty of uh, being only a part-time BBS instead of twenty-four hours. It was from like. Uh, like 7 o'clock in the morning or something like that to 11 at night. And the reason why was the computer was in my parents' bedroom. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> they didn't want the to hear, you know, phones ringing. Of course, I learned later on to turn the ringer off. That's right. You weren't 24-7, were you? Not for a long time. Uh. Actually, I got the phone line moved into my bedroom and uh, moved the computer there and went 24 hours soon thereafter. Of course... Sharing a computer with, and running BBS at the same time, I'm sure you guys probably experienced this, is when you call and you get a business signal, it's because the sysop of the BBS is using the, took the, the BBS down to dial out and call, make some calls of his own you know, to other BBSs. None of this multitasking business like we have now. Yeah. So, Andrew, mm-hmm. what kind of computer did you use to, uh, to dial out to call into BBSs? A uh, Commodore 64. Commodore 64. Initially and with the 300 baud modem. And yeah, you could only get 40 columns on that screen. Nice. Yep. Oh, dude. There was, I, there was a terminal program. There was. Like, that would allow you to get t- 80 columns. Yeah. yeah. It worked really well, too. Oh, what was the name of that I think it was thing? called Term. I think it was just called Term. Was it? Yeah. So how did you get uh, get started with your computer? Well, initially I had an Atari 2600. And uh, actually I had a Tomy Tutor toy computer as well. Which allowed really? really basic programming as well. And uh, by the time I was able to save up, I didn't have the money for like an IBM or like a real PC. The only feasible uh, cost-effective option at the time was mm-hmm. the Commodore 64. I had a friend who had a 128, which were 
infinitely cooler as far as like the level of games and the other thing. And then of course Amigas came out and as Sean and there was another fellow by the name of Arctangent who had an Amiga had very impressive games on that. But the attraction was for the old Commodore 64 days was that you could do soft swap parties. And yeah, these were not exactly legal copies, but you were there <laughs> where we did winger wars and maybe there yep. would have been one or two C64s that were hooked up that were just sitting there making copies of discs. <laughs> 64 Infocom was notorious for having copy parties. Oh yeah. What was it? Uh, Co- what was her name? Oh gosh. Cosmo, Cosmodiar? No, not Cosmodiar. No, no it was uh, JR. Was- I believe it was name. No, I'm talking about the lady who also showed up at those. Uh, oh, was it, Cos, uh, it? I want to say it started with Cause. Her name was it Wendy Shearer? Maybe. What the hell was her? I know who. Oh man, it's hard remembering people by their handles. I know there was Warrior, yeah, yeah. who was friends with Vidfree. I never then, got uh, to meet her. Yeah, the six. There was well, one lady who showed up, and she had a sixty-four as well a couple of times. I just have that memory. Hmm. The interesting thing about those copy parties was you got to see a lot of neat hardware. I mean, like, oh, yeah. I, never, oh, yeah. I never knew that, at, like, for example, the SX-64, the portable Commodore 64, I never knew those existed until I saw one at a copy party. I mean, they were kind of cool. Like, that, that was my first exposure to an Amiga was at, at one of those. That somebody had an Amiga yeah. 1000 that they were showing off test drive on it. Oh, yeah. You went to these things just to see what other people had. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how much actual copying was really going on at those things. Oh, there was a ton. Yeah. <laughs> at the right ones, yeah, there was a ton. I'm not saying there wasn't. I'm just saying I just don't know. Yeah. Because yeah, I had the I only wasn't computer. Doing any of it personally, but. I had the only computer oh, no, there no. that nobody had software I could copy. Well, <laughs> I, I was in the same camp, Jim, because I had the IBM and everybody mm-hmm. else has got C64s. Or Just so you know, guys, those copy parties, I so I hear, did continue when Commodore 64 users upgraded to Amiga. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was tons of crack stuff for the Amiga. I don't oh, know. For, yeah. I remember going over to Arctangent's place and playing Lemmings on his Amiga because he was so kicking. Yeah. The interesting thing is a lot of those uh, cracked copies of games, yeah, that's the only versions that we can emulate now. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the intro screens were always the best part. Oh, yeah. There was they were, there were some really popular, not popular, really talented work Cracker going groups. into those yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their little intros were really, you know, pretty good techno music and usually trying to show off right it's like you know how how much can we performance can we crank out of these things and then the one that always got shown was the uh, was the amiga bouncing ball one boing that what was it it's called boing boing and that got recreated on pretty much every pc uh, out there and even somebody actually even programmed one for the atari 2600 that's right, yeah. You, I did. think you can still get it in the Atari Age store. I, I'm pretty sure you can. And so that was always a neat one. The Atari ST had, uh, or Mini Boeing, which had uh, a bunch of them on the, bunch of the little ones on the screen at the same time. So yeah, those copy, those BBS land, modem land, whatever copy parties were, were uh, yeah, those were always a fun time. Even the C64 demo things were pretty impressive just to push oh, yeah. to the hardware. A lot of animation and you know, Sid music going on. Well, there the was only a, thing, what was it? Axel F Sid file. Yep. You had to have two yep. Commodore 64s because you could have one play the left channel and one play the right channel. Either or that or you could combine it into one stereo file if you had the uh, Sid stereo chip. 
Well, not all of us were fancy schmancy like that. Well, I've I to this day I've never seen that. Sean here. I, mean. I never had that. Oh well. So yeah. Of course, I had my Coleco Adam, which I first started out with. Of course, oh, you did. Yeah, that's right. I was playing that Zaxxon Super game on on your Adam. That was awesome. That's about the only thing I, think I you had. Were the only person I knew had an Adam at the time. Yeah, it was my dad bought it. I kept begging him for a computer, and that's the one he bought because it had the printer and everything with it. It was a fine enough machine, but... Um, Is that the same printer that would erase discs or tapes or something? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was... Uh, yeah. You didn't want to store your... I went through so many uh, so many tapes on that thing because of that. All that time, I was like, did they manufacture these tapes badly or what? And nope. It was because every time you turned it on, for some reason, they decided to put the, uh, the power supply in the printer. You would turn it on. And then the, the daisy wheel on the printer would, would spin, and it would let off this huge electromagnetic pulse, and anything nearby would get erased. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was badly designed. But I it had some... That you weren't supposed to leave the tapes in the drive when you turned it on. Well, that too. Oh, but you okay. weren't supposed to leave them anywhere near it. That was, like, the, the most badly designed thing on it. Uh, I remember I had a 300-baud modem. It was the only thing you could get for it at the time. And because of the way the computer was designed, it had a proprietary cable that came with it. Whereas most computers where you have, like, expansion cards or whatever inside, there's, like, no extra plastic. You just snap it in and whatever. On the Atom, it, they had, like, it was, like, a custom-molded plastic. And then they had, like, a panel that would lift off with, like, little vent uh, slits in it. And the cable had to go through one of the vent slits. And so that uh, that was a pain in the ass. Um, but, um... I had a fun enough time with it. I was wondering, for all these years, I had wondered after I'd heard about the MSX computer and how uh, how it's so similar to the, uh, the the ColecoVision, they share a lot of the same hardware, why Coleco didn't just bring the MSX to the United States, brand it as a Coleco computer and be done with it. Well, then I found out that uh, the MSX didn't come out for another couple of years after the Atom was introduced, though. So uh, Had it so, out with the crash, they might have. They might have come up with an Atom, too. Yeah. Well, my sex. Yeah, they were going to take like two chips out of it and stick it in the new one and call it the Eve. <laughs> Come on, Bob. A little love, please. There actually was a third party um, hardware developer for the Atom called Eve Microsystems. So mm. you're not too far off. The one thing I do remember about your Atom was uh, you had a uh, program that let you dump a ColecoVision card. Oh, yeah. I had most of the uh, ColecoVision cartridges uh, on tape. There was a later uh, version that um, you could dump it to floppy, but since the tapes held more information, you couldn't get as many games on the floppy disks. But, uh, yeah, I had that. This is kind of ahead of its time. I believe that wouldn't copy Activision cards. Like Activision some, had some sort of copy protection on some that. Activision carts. I want to think maybe one other company did actually have some copy protection in there to check to see if it was running off of uh, of ROM rather than a uh, physical media or magnetic media. I mean, and uh, yeah, it was actually just two bytes in the code. And if you ran a um, uh, what was it a hex? Not Back when that's all you needed was just two bytes. Yeah, and if you change those two bytes to a certain certain value then uh yeah you could you could run them fine yeah i was able to get around it i had fun with my uh my hex debugger because i was able to change some stuff on some of the title game screens for some of those games like 
on the Family Feud game for the Adams, where it said presents, I put Die Jeff on there, Jeff being my brother. <laughs> I, I changed, it, changed it back after he complained. But uh, it was it was fun, like going into on those old computers, finding stuff like that. Like, oh wow, I can do this. And that was always a fun. As I said in the in the manuals for every Coleco game ever ever made, the fun of discovery. Well, you did that with uh, hacking uh, twenty six hundred ROMs, right? Just graphic you, hacks. That's yeah, just you changed the outlaw, I believe. Yeah, I changed the in outlaw. Yeah. yeah, into the ghosts from Pac Man and uh, Beanie Bopper. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I had to sneeze and, there for and, a sec. And Beanie Bopper, I changed into Beanie Baby Bash, so I, I put like the tie logos and stuff like that. And I, I really should get both of those on a cartridge, just you know, because I did do those. But um, uh, this is the computer memories. We're talking BBS here. But. Yeah, and speaking of which, we talked about uh, Winger War, and yeah. it was a Winger. It was the Winger War in 1992, in which I met two of you on July 25th. I don't know why, but that ju- that date just never. It, I think it's because I was prepared for it so much that it never left my mind. Because it's like, oh boy, winger war. Gotta get some water balloons. Gotta get this. Gotta get that. And I or just planned and planned, the day. And planned. Yeah, there was one year you got smacked. You know, in a good. That place. was it. All right. That was it. That was that year. Yeah. You got smacked in a very delicate yep. place. Yep. Yep. I don't think but you I would believe, forget that. I believe Babalu was oh, the I one still who remembered. fired. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. It hit me on my right side as it were that's a shame you should have gotten him in on this call is there any correlation to the nature of your injuries and the fact that you're childless to this day um it's never been confirmed nor denied which answers bob's question boom (laughs) so sean why don't you tell uh, tell our listeners what uh, computer you were using to uh access the bbs's even though i'm pretty sure they already know oh well uh, by the way as far as mine goes just to close mine out real quick, uh, after the Atom, I moved to an Atari ST. So, okay. Now you can. Now we can. Yeah, you had the Atari ST when I met you, so yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, and uh, the third person I met in 1988 in high school, so uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, let me see. Uh, Commodore 64C, actually. It was the uh, one of the later models that I got as a present in the summer uh, for eighth grade graduation, actually in 1988. So I was really, I was really late coming out of the Commodore 64 scene. And given that I started modeming in 1992, I was really late. And I get, I think I missed the heyday of modem land as it were the BBS world. Or is it the haze day? It might've been the haze day, but yeah, because by the time I got on, there were no Commodore 64 boards. The closest one was in Kankakee. And I called that like once in a great while because this was before you had unlimited long distance and all that. And I'd have to hear my dad, whoa, the hell keeps calling Kankakee. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you now, know. Was that, don't, did Cracker Jack run that? No, no. He was, uh, I, I met him because he was on an Amiga BBS in Kankakee, actually. Okay. Because when I upgraded to Amiga, well, when I upgraded to Amiga, I think Tower of High Sorcery run by sudden impact. I think he had taken that down by the time I got an Amiga or did he? No, no, he was still up. There was red Oracle. That was an Amiga board. And there was, um, a Gima, a G I M a. I wonder what that which is. Which is Amiga spelled backwards. Oh, and, uh, those are the three Joliet Amiga boards. And of course I was on them like Heather Mills on a millionaire. When I got my Amiga, in fact, I remember once, uh, the uh, rumor has it that um, 
the sysop of Agima may have had copy parties every now and then. That's just a rumor. And uh, when I saw him at one of these rumored copy parties, he asked me, he said, what does Agima mean? I said, it's Amiga spelled backwards. It's, he said, thank you. He said, nobody could figure that out. So I don't, apparently people weren't very observant, but he, but yeah. Um, other than that, yeah, no Commodore 64 stuff was out there. No, there were no Atari boards left. Everything was all on, uh, the, uh, Wintel boxes as it were, um, uh, with the exception of course of dark castle, which you would get if you dial eight one five seven zero one eight eight. And I believe Hyde will bleep that out, but Hey, I had to say it cause I still remember the number and the keeper. That's amazing. Uh, the- I don't. The, the sysop of from Dark Castle actually still has a presence on the internet. It's dailykeeper.com. Oh lord. And he's he's still posting. Not so safe he's for still work. active. Yeah. Oh no. Hmm. He's got Babe of the Day and Breast Scan Project. So Oh yeah. lovely. Huh. Yeah. Last time I saw he's, I saw him in the late nineties at Cracker Barrel of all places. Really? I said, Hey, you remember me? He said he said, Who might you be? And I told him, I said, Oh yeah, I remember you now. And he told me that he still had that Apple up and running. He said, I could, I could restart Dark Castle at a moment's notice. I just have to reactivate the phone line. He never did, by the way. Dailykeeper.com actually has a page with the whole history of the Dark Castle BBS. Uh, it's, a, it's a short but uh, fascinating read if any of our listeners are uh, interested. Or even if you're not interested, it's a fascinating read. So, link in the short show notes. Link in the short notes. Hmm. The short notes. The short notes. Yeah. In the link in the short bus. Um, so I know, Bob, obviously you ran uh, the Revelations BBS, which, correct me if I'm wrong, that was actually originally named after a uh, the, a King Diamond album, correct? No, actually, it was, no, uh, no it was just a, the, the name sounded cool. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm mistaken. Yeah, no. And consider myself uh, corrected. 815-73398. Oh, yeah. Do you still own that number? Ha! No. You owned it for a long time, though, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I did. Yeah, up until, I mean, for several years, even after uh, the BBS went down, I believe I still had it. You ran that and then obviously paid for your own phone line after a while, and uh, and it went 24 hours. I remember that. I think I hung out most of my time over there, and I remember at Sherwood Forest I had gotten to some with uh, with a with a Commodore 64 guy over there, the problem my problem in BBSing when I would tell people and I was proud of what I was using um, for a computer, they're like, "Oh, that's a toy computer. You need to get a real computer." And I'm like, I'm thinking, well, it's all I've got. I mean, it's yeah, mock it all you want, but it's all I got. It's all I had, and here I am. But they didn't care. It was almost the computer nerd circles on the BBSs were almost as bad as like I don't know some of the uh, the, the mockery or whatever of people that don't fit in were almost as bad as uh, as like uh, the jock circles or whatever in uh, whatever the sports the sports nuts in school and that sort of thing. The rivaling clicks, let's just say. Yeah, just another click. It was just another yeah, click. Maybe not the same level of uh, vitriol between the groups, but uh, yeah, there definitely was clicks. It, and, you know, it's funny how Sean, you were talking about how those those BBSs were gone by the time the C sixty four BBSs were gone by the time you mm-hmm. started. It just you know how much stuff changed in a, a few short years. Yeah, and didn't uh, Vidfreak run his uh, Vids All Nighter off a, um, a Mac? 
No, he originally had a. Uh, I thought it was a PC. It was a PC. It was a Tandy of. of oh, he was. Yeah, he, right. he was like a religious nut about Tandy computers. Yes. Oh, yeah, yes, he, he was. was. He had a few of them. He had a one of the one thousands, and then he had one of a later Tandy PC. I don't remember what vintage, but uh, yeah, and then he eventually switched to Mac. He was running a like a Mac with System Seven on it. I think at one time he also had a Coleco Atom. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, I vaguely remember going over to his place to, to pick one up. Mm. Maybe he did in the early days. Well, let's be fair. I mean, he was very liberal with the usage of his credit cards. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, he got a lot of he had a lot of a uh, lot of stuff. Um, the uh, you know the interesting thing about the Tandys though is I, I just learned this the other day actually. Uh, we, of course, we know the Tandy 1000, you know, adopted the uh, PC Junior graphics and three-channel sound, which you know they were trying to initially thought they they thought it was a good idea be P- idea to be PC Junior compatible, hmm. but then the PC Junior itself flopped. But then uh, I read just the other day one of the later Tandys had around the time that IBM came out with the PS2s, the, one of their higher end business PCs had the microchannel cards in it, just like the IBM PS2, the high runs, like the Model 50 on, on, on up. And I just thought that was amazing that they would attempt to, to go after that standard, which was another flop of IBM's. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting how Tandy followed after trying to emulate IBM and some of their technology. So, Bob, you're the only one here that really ran a BBS. <laughs> yep. Tell us a little bit more about the uh, about uh, what Dimension it was like. Hatros. Was that what it was? Hatros, that? but yeah, yeah. What's that? Dimension Hatros. It What's lasted that? for a couple. It was a BBS that I ran for a couple of months. Oh, really? Yep. I, off of a C64 with well, because I bet you probably just never logged in or don't remember it. I well, but yeah, I that was my senior year of high school, '92. Oh. What was I doing what in 92? What did you run that 91 off of? To 92. Oh, it was a Commodore 64 with uh, four serial-chained 1541 oh, okay. drives. I think I remember. I was in, probably in Kankakee at that time. And it was running Renegade. No, no. You, were, you, were, you were in Joliet. Was I? I only know about that board because I ended up with your old software when you sold me off your lot. Oh, good Lord. Maybe it was 94 I went to Kankakee then. Yeah, you had to run the first uh, drive as the... The BBS, and then you could have like up to uh, three other 1541s chained to it for storage, which I needed at the time. I needed all the space for the rooms. But yeah, that was a that was a brief BBS I ran, and it never really caught on. I tried running a BBS off of my Atom, and I could do it, and I had a eventually got a floppy drive for it. And uh, but the problem was that because of my brother monopolizing the phone all the time, uh, I could only started up after 10 and he quite frequently would uh only um quite frequently he would go well past that just to piss me off and i only got a few calls from a few people and it just i remember once uh the keeper because i kept trying different software and changed the name a few times every time attempt i tried to run it up or put up a bbs and he was like i wish you guys over there would get your act together and i'm like oh okay so. Yeah, he's complaining about us in that last paragraph on his little Dark Castle story, where he's complaining about the quality of the posts going downhill and whatnot. 
Actually, that does remind me why I did shut down Dimension Hatros. The problem was is you had to dedicate the computer to running the BBS pretty much 24-7. Yep. And not, none of us really had the, the financial ability to have more than one computer. Those things were damn right. expensive back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. They're expensive again now. Try to get one. Yeah. I'm kind of amazed, Andrew, that you had the number of 1541s that you did. I mean, those were... Yeah, they were pricey. No, but I used to... Mm. Get those, I think, at the end of the heyday of the C64's uh, popularity. I also had a portable C64 for a brief while. I remember selling that off. But I kind of wish I had held on to that one. I'd like to toy around with that today. That thing was heavy as all get out. Yeah. But it was portable somehow. It was. It was, like one of it was a whole case. It was like a, yeah. you know, like a 20-pound case that you would carry with you and it had the monitor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like a little 4-inch screen on it. It was a SX-64. Was it color? No. What was it? I think it was. I might be thinking about something else then, but yeah, it, it could very well be. I just didn't like it, you know. Yeah, it was. You know, I, it was kind of like the um, like back in the early '80s. They had like those compact portables that, that you know, like thirty pounds. <laughs> yeah, it was just too unwieldy. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of unwieldy, it was the, the aforementioned copy parties was. Packing up all your gear and lugging it to somebody's house. <laughs> oh, and the power—the needs of the power. Oh yeah. In those houses where you're—you've got like twenty or so odd kids all running their gear out of somebody's basement. You know, plug them all into like uh, everybody bring a power strip. One year uh, they had the—we had the party at uh, the clubhouse at the Village, which is a housing development in uh, Crest Hill, Joliet, where Vidfreak actually lived at the time. Now that I think about it. Yes. And uh, I remember that. That actually worked out pretty well. I remember lugging my Atom in there in uh, in uh, laundry baskets. And that, oh gosh, you want to talk about unwieldy. That thing was pretty dang unwieldy. Yeah. Well, that was the one, that, that's the time we were, that I actually remember playing with your Atom. Yeah. Anyway, as we were saying, uh, running a board, um, since Bob, you were the only one among us who had a 24-7 board, uh, can you share some uh, uh, wisdom, some, um, or lack there Insight. Uh, for- experiences well one thing was just the sysop chats i remember that you had people you know of course pinging you to uh chat which was always interesting i remember having a few late night discussions with people uh you know the other thing was just i have to i say you know you pick up life skills from the things you've done along the way but i think i've learned a little bit about working with people just by running a bbs there was certainly a lot of you know, trolls are worse now than they were back then, but they were still there, sure. they were still around then. And uh... the one troll I remember most from those days, especially uh, he was, I believe, only on Dark Castle, was Lowflyer. Oh, I vaguely remember that name. He was, supposedly he was a uh, he worked at the um, the Dresden nuclear plant, and I don't have any reason to doubt that he did. But he he always came off as a jerk, and um, he eventually earned the nickname of Lowlifer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who was that twelve-year-old kid who was on Dark Castle? He kept getting kicked off. Oh man, Dragon? No, no, Dragon. Oh, was he did older. show up that one time to the Pizza Hut party, didn't he, with his parents? Yeah, I do remember something about that. that was Admiral. You were time. there. Yeah, Bob. No, Bob was there for that. I know. Yeah. Oh man, what? The, I remember his name was. I know that because he was on one of the Amiga boards and he didn't hide his his uh, first name. Or he didn't hide his name at all, actually. He pissed me off so much once. I was working at the library, of course. 
So I looked up his library card in the computer system, and I checked out a whole series of bedwetting books under his card, so that he would get the over, <laughs> so that he would get the overdue notice. And if his parents were anything like mine, they would see something from the library, say, "Ooh, what's this?" and open it up and see that their little child had all these bedwetting books. That's horrible, Sean. Why? That's absolutely horrible. I'm ashamed for you. I think you deserve so mean. It. That's yeah. mean. Would you do that today? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, as long as it's not for a publicly traded company, so yeah. But, oh, God, what was... You I think you I, know oh, somebody. What, I remember one, one of his posts was he was trying to sell a Color Me Bad CD. Oh, no. Oh, what the heck was his name? Mac Daddy. Mac Daddy. That was his name. That was his handle. Mac Daddy. Yeah. And I remember once I just private messaged him on Dark Castle. I just said, hello, that's it. And he responded, who are you? Who is this? How'd you know my name? And I just let him wonder. Yeah. Well, that was the interesting the dark, the dark side of Sean coming out here. Yeah. The, that was the interesting Colonel thing Curtis. back then is, you know, we could probably never run a BBS in, in today's politically correct and age appropriate society because some of the stuff that we saw, it was definitely not, you know, they, there would be some parents group shutting us down now if it would happen nowadays because mm, i don't know i've got a window open right now from hackerworld.co that says how to get a c64 on wi-fi and start bbsing again article dated 2016 wow yeah. the hardware they're making for those old computers these days is just astounding yeah but i mean just some of the not so much the hardware but and of course we've already mentioned the pirated wares but you know the porn and some of the cracks and stuff that was out there I and mean, that sure that if that happened to today I'm well dark castle got investigated for a while because it had some hidden rooms yeah yeah and that's all again up on the uh, the dark what was the website again um, dailykeeper.com Dailykeeper. slash dark hyphen castle yeah most of this is brand new to me i had never heard most of this stuff before well no you were too busy picking on 12 year olds yeah i think <laughs> it was pretty much a uh, open secret about uh, dark castle having these areas though i think people knew they just didn't yeah, well, you could not anybody could gain access to it either. You had to, right. you, you do have to get on the sysops uh, good side and prove that you were deemed worthy to gain access. And I, I never was, but actually, the G file section, which were the text files, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. I mean they had. I think that's where I first came across Slack text and Brag text, which is a, a oh boy ASCII version of the Church of the Subgenius literature. Wow. I think that's how I was first exposed to that stuff. Huh. There was stuff like, uh, you know, the, the radio frequencies for the drive through windows at, at various fast food restaurants, stuff you could... Oh, didn't they also have the Anarchist Cookbook online or something like that? Yeah. They, I think they did. All the banned texts. It's because of those G files that to this day, when I hear CDC, my first thought is Cult of the Dead Cow. Oh, good Lord, Beto. Don't get me going about Beto. In the G file section, he also had a lot of like cheap files and walkthroughs for a bunch of different games and stuff too. That was always kind of nice to have. Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely a gray area when it came to legality, for sure. Oh yeah. So Bob, uh, question for you: um, anything, any incidents that you remember from the BBS Sysop days that uh, kind of stick out to you? Or well, one that comes to mind is uh, I don't know if you guys recall that. Of course, back then, you know, dialing places, you got charged by the minute. So the the invention of the, uh, I guess it was SBC back then before AT&T, 
that the call pack was an amazing thing, but not everybody had that. But one of the things that people didn't realize, and I remember there was this one guy from DeKalb, and he was, of course, DeKalb was back in the, or it was in the 815 area code. Yeah. But it was like 60 miles away. Yeah, so it was, it was same area code, but definitely long distance. The, the best part about this guy, he was just an antagonistic guy, and he was calling, like, daily for about a month. And then I think he got his first phone bill. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he pretty much uh, was, he was on, a, you know, a couple times after that, but he was gone. I'm sure he got that hefty phone bill that uh, <laughs> I had my vindication by courtesy of uh, SBC. Yeah. Speaking of things you didn't have back then, like unlimited, the unlimited things. And uh, there's something that not everybody had, and that was temporary disabling of call waiting. Oh yeah. Which was the Conrad bane of my existence. And I got a story about that once somebody in this conversation, and I'm not going to name names. I just remember one like knew knew that the phone did not, I could not disable call waiting. I was just logging onto dark castle. And then I saw the telltale line noise. It means you're about to get booted and then click no carrier. And it was the phone. And it was one of you three guys. Probably me. And just said, hey, Sean, how you doing? Uh, fine. Um, okay, I'll talk to you later. Click. And then I could not get onto Dark Castle. And sure as hell, like an hour later, when the phone line finally freed up, I saw the handle of the previous person. And it was like, like they tell you who, <laughs> who the last callers were. I saw mine. And then this chumps. And then mine. I was like, "Ooh, son of a bitch. Okay, was that was that and me? You were mad at Bob for years afterwards. Oh, it was Bob. Uh, uh, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're narrowing it down here, folks. <laughs> I admit nothing. You admit nothing. <laughs> Just what we would expect you to say. That actually does Ooh. sound like your modus operandi. <laughs> Eventually, Jim gets there, yeah. <laughs> oh man oh i was so pissed but there was a way later on that you could well, just like, the call waiting no the thing is it not on for some reason i think it was only if you had a digital line we still had analog oh yeah because if you had like if you had like the touch tone phone you could dial like star seven or something like that to disable it but to do it on a rotary phone it wasn't it something to do with like the carriage or whatever it is you put the receiver down on on the phone Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, we had touch-tone technology. It just wasn't a digital phone line. And the uh, disabled caller ID only worked on digital. We still had the old analog line. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you had that to deal with. Because most BBSs, at least at the time I had started getting into it, one line. There, were, there weren't multi-line. If someone was uh, was on it, then you had to wait. Uh, there were a few multi-line boards at the time. There was usually a uh, high-speed line for like 9,600 and faster. And then there was the lamer line for lamers who were only at 2,400 and slower. But those were... So you- wasn't Ripco one of those? Ripco was one of those, right? Those are typically the paid BBSs, right? Not oh, really. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that 64 soft swap. That was multi-line as well. But, I mean, those had like a membership, right? I recall something... Yeah, or you had to keep a ratio or something like that. Oh, yeah. Because I think there was a few of them where, yeah, it wasn't free. They wanted X amount of dollars per month or what have you. 
in order to pay for their hardware, all the phone lines. That's why I never got on those and had to interrupt people on their phone calls in order to get on to Dark Castle. <laughs> I'm still pissed about that, by the way. <laughs> the, well, if you, if you remember later on, they we had the technology uh, guy, then the name of what, it, what the program you used escapes me, but you would log on, download all the message board content. Oh, yeah. Q, uh, yeah, the quick reader. Yeah, and then log back off again, and then you would respond to whatever you did offline, and then yep. call back in and upload your... your Didn't Fido network like that, if essentially? The, if the sysop set it up like that, yeah. There were two different versions of that. There was Quick, which was QWK, and then there was Blue Wave. Oh, I remember Blue Wave, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I used a program on Amiga called QBlue, which was compatible with both, and that was a lifesaver. Because I just log on, do a yank all, as as the uh, term was, <laughs> log off. Yep, I knew that was coming. And um, yeah, <laughs> that was especially handy on boards that carried Usenet news groups. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, because you could spend an hour just sitting there oh, reading yeah. messages. It was not an efficient use of data by any means. Was you know just sitting there reading, you know. And in fact, it was because of boards like that that had access to Usenet, they also had internet email. So that's how I first got on the internet back in 1992, actually. I think it was Red Oracle. They had a uh, an internet feed that would update every six hours or so, or six times a day, every four hours. Yeah. It's interesting, I mean, especially later on, as you did get these precursors to the web that started coming online to BBSs and being integrated in. Speaking of, um, one of you mentioned uh, about paid BBSs, were in it. How many of you were like on CompuServe, Genie, or any of those services? Hell no. No, the the first one I got on, and this was near the end of my days as a sysop, was uh, AOL. I only used CompuServe through the uh, radio station's account at the college. I used, at different times, CompuServe, Delphi, and Genie. And Genie, I think, was my favorite. I used that in my Atari ST days. I don't know what it was, but they were, they, that was, uh, there's something about the Genie service I just, I just enjoyed. Commodore 64 had its own online service called Quantum Link or Q-Link, which was owned by the same people who, uh, who did AOL, by the AOL. way. AOL. And I never actually checked it out beyond the free tour disc that came with a computer. I do remember the password that the trial subscription had involved the phrase waggle banjos. <laughs> And if I'm not mistaken, LucasArts had a uh, uh, one of the earliest. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of what it's like. They had a system on Quantum Link, which was uh, which was kind of like uh, you had adv- avatars and you were like walking around towns and stuff like that. Um, I just saw something about what was that on? Oh, that was on the Quantum Link uh, video for on uh, L- uh, LGR on YouTube. Lazy Game Reviews. I have to dig that up. That was a that was an interesting episode. Speaking of online services, I don't think you had. I think Vidfreak had it, but it was a uh, Prodigy. Yeah, he had it. Prodigy was IBM only. In fact, Prodigy still exists to this day, but they're uh, kind of an ISP in Mexico. Are you serious? Yep. Wow. Interesting. But the interesting thing about Prodigy is they were doing I- integration of graphics into the text experience. So you'd be scrolling down, you know, top-down approach, and then it would draw something on the screen. It was just very neat how, it, for the time that it came out, how they had the technology to have the graphics enhanced. And it was a, that was all a, a thing with um, IBM, Sears, 
H&R Block, which they owned H&R Block. It was mostly huh. a way to uh, sell Sears products online. I knew, yeah, I knew there was a correlation. I didn't realize that that's what they were doing. But, uh, yeah, it was just neat for the time. And it's funny how, I remember the reason I went on AOL was, you know, they had that, that newfangled thing called the web. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That was a game changer, of course. Oh, wow. In Mexico, Prodigy Internet is the main ISP with an estimated 92% of market share. It's also the leader in Wi-Fi hotspots and broadband access. Uh, broadband service is called Prodigy Infinitum and is available at speeds of 512 kbits, 1024 kbits, 2048 kbits, 4096, and 2480 kbits. Installation in DSL or fiber optic modem are free and is no longer necessary to sign a two-year service contract. Prodigy Internet in Mexico is part of Telmex and its sister company, Telnor. So, wow. Is it a direct descendant of the original Prodigy, or is it just a name? Si, senor. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. Wow. They, it might be one of those deals where they bought the name like current Atari is. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like many other companies out there that where the name has been brought up. RCA. You can go over to MontgomeryWard.com and buy some stuff. They're owned by the Swiss Colony. There you go. Interesting. Is what I say when there's this... Uh, this awkward lull in conversation. I, I think of one other thing about being a sysop is as far as privacy, there was none. We could just eavesdrop on whatever ever anybody was doing. That oh, yeah. Logged on. Yeah, you could read all the emails, everything. Yep. Yeah. When I mean, you're behind I, the scene, you see people at their best and their worst. Yeah. So that's another thing that wouldn't fly nowadays as, pri- as privacy is concerned. It's just interesting. And of course, I would occasionally break in on uh, with chat on so, from time to time. Of course, that happened to be when I was on other BBSs too, where you'd be tooling around and uh, the sysop would jump in and chat with you. Yeah, the keeper did that with me once when I was trying to download the text files because I had heard rumor that Dark Castle was going away. And he said, what are you doing? Why are you reading all these things? Because I heard you were going away. I just wanted to grab these while I could. He said, oh, Dark Castle's not going anywhere. A week later, it was gone. <laughs> it actually went down in 1994. Yep. That sounds like a corporate move. Oh, can I confirm that anything's going on right now and then it, then it happens? Yep. Yeah, it's just like you know a baseball team's going to fire a manager when the uh, the people that own the team say, no, 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 his job's safe. So how about um, BBS gatherings? What? Let's talk about our memories about those. Because we, we'd always have periodic get-togethers. I think we've already hit kind of the big ones. We had a brief mention of Winger War, which is just that. We'd gather in a big park and yeah, throw Sean water got balloons hit at everybody. The big one, yeah. And Spam. And, uh, and we would spam, spam. Yes. Yeah. By the way, Spam does not launch nicely out of a Winger unless you cut it in probably thirds or quarters. But boy, does it taste good. Who originally sure. came up with the idea of, of purchasing a Winger? The three-person slingshot. It's a three-person slingshot. In fact... I remember at another party with uh, the Amiga boards, actually, there was a gentleman who went by the handle Chrome Tiger. He and somebody else were doing a two-person winger operation. They're like, oh, yeah, you can do this with two people. And so I tried to show it to VidFreak when we had Winger War next, and I accidentally beamed him right in the back of the head. (laughs) Now, I'm I'm just looking on Amazon to see if they carry... Anything winger, but it looks like the winger brand might be long gone. However, you could still get three-person water balloon slingshots. Mine was actually an aqua sling. 
Yeah, I think that originally uh, when it came to our local area, I think somebody purchased it from the Army Surplus. Ah. Yep. That's where I got mine. Because the Army apparently shoots water balloons at each other so much that they had leftovers. And uh, we also had Hut Fest occasionally where we'd go to Pizza Hut. That's why I can't go to Pizza Hut anymore. I still can't. Sure you can. I highly recommend it. No. But... They had the tabletop version of Ms. Pac-Man or Pac-Man or one well, of those. Well, I think every Pizza Hut was required back then to have a, a tabletop arcade. Pac-Man, yeah. The one over by the Louis Joliet Mall had the Nintendo Play Choice 10 stand-up machine. Yeah. There was the one uh, near my old house on Theodore, and I'm trying to think of what they had in there. It might have been a Pac-Man. But, I mean, that that was a genius move on Pizza Hut's part to have those tabletop arcades. Well, we covered this in one of our previous episodes of this podcast, but there was the, the tent. infamous uh, Nintendo Red Tent yep, arcade machine, which supposedly was specifically designed for Pizza Hut. But as I was saying, yeah, we had a Hut Fest at Pizza Hut. In fact, it was the first Hut Fest that I ever went to in which uh, somebody, again, on this chat who is currently residing in Texas introduced me to Hawaiian-style pizza. Bob, when did you move down here? <laughs> Howdy, neighbor. Hawaiian pizza is good. Oh, the funny thing it, is, it is, is, I can't stand that It's not my first choice, now. but it's like, you know, it's not bad. It's not bad. I can dig it. I can dig it. And there was also a hut fest, not at Pizza Hut, but at a Joliet place called Taco Hut. I did not go to that one, though. Which one? It was, I think it was on Plainfield Road. It was called, it's long gone, but it was called Taco Hut. Uh, Taco Hut 2 was on... Uh Black and uh, 30, wasn't it? Taco Hut? Are you, are you talking the about six the cars? 30 and Ingles. 30 and Ingles, that's it, yeah. Uh, that was the old Wild Hair in our bar building. And yeah, it was a wonderful Mexican place that Andrew yeah. would have ate. Taco Hut. That was, I think that was Taco Hut 3. The no, first... it was Taco Hut 2. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Because I remember there was the one downtown, then they had one on South Larkin Avenue for a while. Yeah. And they had the third one, and I, I remember going into the wild one at the wild old Wild Hammer Lounge and talking to the owner, and at that point they were talking about opening a fourth one up in Bolingbrook, but like soon after that happened, they uh, I guess the owner died or something, and they all closed. Yeah. The best part, I think, one memorable thing was the signage on their company van was Taco Hut. Tacos is our specialty. Oh, gosh, I remember that. <laughs> Technically, that's grammatically correct, because if you switch it around, speci- our specialty is, would you say our specialty are? My thoughts. It, it just stood out as being grammatically questionable. Yeah. Questionable, sure. And I, I do have to share this. The first BBS outing I ever went on, I remember it was supposed to be a Dark Castle outing. I think it was in Aurelio's we were, we were meeting at, I think... And everybody in the bar was like, yeah, I'm going to be there. We're still going to be there. Yay, yeah. And there were, I think, four people showed up. It was uh, Andrew and me and uh, Vidfreak. That was the day I met Vidfreak. Oh, five, actually, because Sudden Impact was there. And this other guy called The Jerk. That's what he called himself. He was a short guy, I remember. And we were like, where is everybody? Everybody said, said we're going to be there. Yeah, it's every, I can't wait to see everybody. Can't wait to meet everybody. There were supposed to be like 20 people. There were five of us. And so Vid came up with his plan saying, hey, it was a great outing. You know, I saw some familiar faces and some that I've never met before in my life, which was true. It just happened that the grand total was five. And <laughs> and yeah, it, it, it just didn't happen. I think there were a lot of last minute things. I think Babalu got grounded and... <laughs> whatever else there was. 
I don't remember why people are like, yeah, I couldn't Sounds make it anyway. Legit. When did the tradition start of leaving the piece of uh, leftover pizza on the keeper's doorstep? Who came, who came <laughs> up with that idea? I don't remember that. It wasn't me. Uh, it could have been one of us. That I thought that was you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, the keeper was very reclusive, so he never. we never no, saw him No, that's the reason gathering. why I had to leave like a piece of pizza on his doorstep every single time we had a pizza party because the jerk never showed up <laughs> it's like all right mr snooty pants here have some pizza i remember i have a good actually, time trying getting off the ground there buddy i actually met the keeper one time i don't think i talked to him i saw him though at um the copy party or whatever it was that we had at the clubhouse at the village and i remember when i went there i saw like, people don't know it keepers wheelchair bound and so he had a hard time getting places and i remember uh, coming out of the bill, or as I was arriving or leaving or something, two people carrying him up the stairs to get into the building. And um, one of the guys carrying up was a guy I went to high school with, whose name also happened to be Bob. It was a different Bob, though. So I thought Another that guy was. Another Bob, wow. Yeah. And um, so I always thought that was interesting. Keeper. The keeper, he Cutter John from Bloom County, that was the keeper in every way. He looked like him. He had the wheelchair. He had the, the red hair. He had the mustache. And I think he was a Star Trek fan, too, wasn't he? Isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And a Corvette fan. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, Cutter John from Bloom County, that is the keeper. I had to look up who that is because I was never a fan of Bloom County. <sighs> Awkward. Yes, very, very. So... <sighs> How about this? What made people like, why, why did we all kind of fall out of the BBS land? What was it? Well, for me, it was just, it was kind of the writing was on the wall. I shut down revelations in 96, I believe 96 or 98. I think by that time, most people were logging into ISPs or, you know, your services to get onto the internet, which was Usenet at the time was big. Right. But Uh, the internet, I had already was on my own after college, and uh, yeah, you could see the, the just the uh, call rate on Revelations was definitely dwindling. You could see that just people were moving on from VPSs. It'd be the same three people every time. Yeah, as I just said, you know, this is it's had its run, and so I decided to shut it down, and I moved on to internet. And but it, it definitely was a unique time in. You know, technology. I mean, the, the personal interaction you had. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's kind of equivalent these days is if you go to some of the forums that are on websites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Reddit. They're very BBS y. I've not used Reddit, I'm, uh, but uh, just even just some of the, like, if you go to, you know, a fan of a band or what have you, if you go on 4chan. The, but, you know, you, you get interacting <laughs> with the same, let's say, 20, 30 guys, and you kind of had that sense of community that BBSs have. Yeah, Atari Age is a good one, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's a good example. Yeah. yeah, that's a good example. And yeah, Atari Age is it, Atari Age is really a very close BBS kind of thing because it had so much that BBS has had to offer. You could chat, you had private messaging, you have message forms. You can actually download software in Atari Age. BBS yep. has had all that. I don't think Atari Age has any online games like BBS has did, no. but everything else, it's like what Atari Age has. That's that's what PBSing was like, except it was very local, plus whoever wanted to pay long distance to dial out. Yeah, and the, I mean, the whole 
parties and such that we were t- we've been talking about a lot here. It's just it was an extension of that community, you know. Yeah, yeah. We talked to each other, and we, you know, we're all friends today because of that. And oh yeah, and it was a great time. I think you know, it's made me who I am today. Is just because of the. the- oh, that explains it. Well, yeah. No, I mean seriously, it, it, there was a, just a lot of opportunity just to, to become friends with a lot of great guys. And I do say when I say guys, I do mean that because modem land, as it were, was predominantly male. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I knew five women total in the Joliet modem land. Uh, in, in I fact, knew yeah, one. And thing is, back when we were when the BBSs were still pretty busy, like if you heard of somebody. Like somebody mentions, oh yeah, just my modem's not working. Or if you see, like in my case, I saw somebody at the library check out a book about modems. You could say, what's your handle? And you would get a BBS handle from that person because it was almost a given that somebody with a modem was on the boards. Yeah. Oh yeah. And as for me, um, I'll tell you what stopped my modeming. And that was simply moving to New Jersey because I still continued to call right up to when I moved to New Jersey in October of 1998. And thing is, when I got to Jersey, I had no idea where to start looking for local BBSs and where I was. So that's pretty much what killed it for me. What, what really got me, there was one BBS. It was mo it was, there was some uh, message boards on it, but it was primarily for downloads and uploads. And that was Joliet's shareware library, 815-276072. That board was alive definitely into the 2000s because I would still call that from New Jersey from from time to time. Years after for BBS scene died, they, I think the guy just had, stuck it in his closet and just left the thing running. Yeah, that's crazy. That thing was up forever. Is he had like CD ROMs loaded of, of shareware that? Yep. Which one was this again? The shareware library. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Yep, just for me, he had an AmyNet CD because he knew I was an Amiga user. And they had, uh, back then, you could go to those, I don't know, you guys remember the um, the magazines, they would have the those shareware catalogs or clubs or whatever. Yeah. You, you'd order discs, floppies of uh, different shareware, but I think later on, they just had entire CD collections of, of shareware. Oh, yeah. So that's what he had. He just, you know, would get the latest subscription or whatever to whatever CD shareware library that he had and stuck it in the drive. And that's how he ran things. How about this? What's uh, your most memorable experience being a member of, uh, well, the BBSing community, as it were? Wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of memories. Jeez. To pick out one. (laughs) The time that Sean got hit right square in the thing with a winger. In the dingus? Yeah. That's my biggest memory. Sadly, this is not the first episode of this podcast in which that was m- mentioned. But I think this is the first time that it's been mentioned three times that you got hit in the dingus with a winger, with a water balloon. I mean, like, right square. Boom, there it was. Sean went down. It was on the uh, right um, nut. Now, are you saying right as in compared to left or right compared as to in left. compared to left? It's on, on the, the Dexter Ooh, you side. got you the right way, you know? Yeah. Right. Sean's new nickname is, is Sans it didn't, Testicles. It, it didn't even hurt because the thing is, it exploded. It exploded on impact. It was just water at that point. <laughs> what exploded on impact? The water balloon. 
the water balloon just exploded. Like it hit the denim and went. I was gonna say, and went we didn't splash. take you to the hospital. <laughs> I'm tough. I'm tough. I can handle that. You know, we were all teenagers when this all happened, and I don't think the humor's changed much over the years. <laughs> no, yes, no, Bob, you agree. T- yeah, yeah, we were all teenagers. That's correct. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we were all Actually, teenagers I was the in oldest. 1992. I still am. Yep, still am. I think my per- there, there were a lot of uh, memories. Of course, I think one that really sticks out was uh, on the Amiga boards. One of the users was a state trooper. And one night on his way to work at Stateville, I, where I live, where Jim and I lived, if you stayed on that street long enough, you'd get to Stateville. So it was an About easy drive miles. for him. Yeah, six miles. One night, he, he stopped at my house, and he was in uniform, of course. And my parents were like, what did he do? <laughs> they thought I was getting carried away. He's like, oh, here's that software I told you I left, I left you off. And, and he, said, he said to my parents, yeah, I'm just dropping off some pirated software. In uniform, <laughs> a state trooper in uniform dropping off like cracked versions of pinball dreams, I think. The interesting thing about that, I mean, that was almost, I mean, he was still local, but I mean, one thing about BBS is it was very locale oriented. I mean, even just the next town over, like Bolingbrook or Romeoville, that was almost an entirely different scene. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we... You get in charge by the minute to call him, so of course he's... Well, local. yeah, yeah, that pretty much determined it, you know, the locality of it. I mean, if it were just like, it, you know, what we have today with unlimited calling, it would be entirely different. Out of curiosity, what is the furthest away BBS you guys have ever called? Oh, for me, it was like Ripco, because I think they were 312. Oh. So coming from 815 to 312, that was definitely by the, you know, almost a buck yeah. a minute rate. Because they had the four different zones, the A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. You call A unlimited... So coming from where I was, I could call some of the places like Dark Castle Unlimited, but Sean was B range. I believe Revelations was A range for me, so I could call that as much as I wanted. Mm-hmm. But sh- calling Sean to interrupt him to get him off of Dark Castle, that was an expensive endeavor, and he doesn't realize how much <laughs> I spent just trying to get him off the system so I could, you know... Because, let's face it, I would spend hours on that damn board. (laughs) Which, you know, is interesting because, Sean, you and I, what, we were maybe two, three miles from each other? Yeah. Uh, And it's funny how they drew the line in between that. It really is, yeah. I remember one time I actually called a BBS in Salt Lake City. Wow. Yeah. It was the closest Coleco Adam board to uh, Joliet, I believe. Furthest I ever called was Telereg in Kankakee because it was the only Commodore 64 board and I needed Commodore 64 stuff. I was tempted to call Music Emporium, which was 708. Oh, and let's not forget that uh, software that you could download, quote-unquote, illegally from BBSs were called Wares, spelled W-A-R-E-Z. Yes. Yeah, there were like zero to five day wares and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think the only, the farthest I called, I, I just pretty much stayed locally, but I think when I was running VBBS in the last iteration of uh, Revelations, I called up the the actual home BBS of VBBS software, um, which was, I want to say Minnesota. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to say it, then say it. We're not stopping you. Minnesota, eh? Hey, Bob, what games did you run on Revelations? Oh, Trade Wars. Yeah, that was it. Okay, I was trying to think of it. Mm -hmm. Everybody ran Trade Wars. No, some people ran Pimp Wars. Oh, I remember Pimp Wars. That was fun. 
the Atari BBSs ran Space Empire Elite. Yeah, I remember that. And we and uh, Sean and I have talked about our. Uh, I think Slippery Jim was into that. There was like some space one. No, I want to think there was a, a fourth Atari BBS in the Joliet area, but I can't remember what it would have been. Um, uh, Vidfreak's brother ran one, didn't he? Oh, Kill Kenny. Yeah. Yes, he did. Oh, I should ask him about that. We're that friends on Facebook. My, yeah, that's so much before my time. Yes. But I had talked about how uh, me and uh, the warden at Alcatraz and uh, General Ripper from Sackbase uh, were so pissed off at a specific user of the two BBSs that uh, we engaged in a little late-night shenanigans. And the person in question accused us of cheating. We didn't. We did everything legally and by the rules. We just happened to do it at midnight so we could get double turns. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I, w- I didn't do much gaming on, on the BBSs myself. I-, I did Pimp Wars simply because it was called Pimp Wars. But that was about it. The games were interesting. And some of the lesser ones that I had, I had a bowling game. That was really interesting. Really? Yeah, it was uh, because everything back then used the, you know, the animated ANSI graphics. Yep. So you had the character-based graphics, but it had codes to move the cursor so you could animate stuff. So they had uh, just... I remember that! Holy cow! I think it might have been one of those things where it had the little scroll meter where you hit the space bar when you wanted to stop or something but uh i don't remember but yeah it was interesting little little uh bowling game and then there was um the chairman over at corporate headquarters he ported a golf game text-based golf game from he he went back to the uh ti 99 days and he ported this game from the ti 99 to an ibm and he ran that as a door and that was interesting I remember playing that. I don't remember if I ran that or not, but yeah. And just to emphasize for people listening who haven't seen BBS games yet, they were pretty much text based. Okay, I just I was actually just doing a, a search online for um, BBS games to see if maybe I can't find a, a video or something of that of uh, the bowling game, and uh, I just stumbled upon archives.thebbs.org, which uh, has archives of all of these door games. Wow, and. I'm looking As they were f- called. They were called door games. They were games called doors, for whatever yes. Reason. Yes, yeah. I'm not sure why they called them that. Yeah, sometimes they were called P-Files. Yeah. Yes, I remember that too, yes. There was no Jim Morrison games, strangely enough. Ha, 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 By the way, I gotta tell you, one of my favorite Doors songs is actually from after Jim Morrison left the band. I didn't know they had songs after Jim Morrison yeah, left they'd, they'd, I, You mentioned that on your podcast, I believe. Yeah, they started recording other voices after he left, and I think he was dead by the time they finished. And then they did another album after that. And there's a, there's a, it's called uh, Ships with Sails, and with is spelled W slash. That is a killer tune. Ooh. I did not know that. But no, the, the doors were a lot of fun. The- there's a place out there that's got 63 people playing Trade Wars right now. Oh, there's no one. 76 people on it. Good lord. Get attacked by the Ferengi. Uh, that was the other thing. Uh, that Trade Wars was loaded with Star War- Star Trek references. I mean, it basically was a, a multiplayer Star Trek kind of thing. Oh, by the way, one thing that BBSs also had was directories of phone numbers you could call other BBSs, too. Yes. So that's kind of how we found out about that. And yeah, there, sometimes people would post the most interesting things. It turns out they weren't actually BBSs, but they'd be like some company's dial-up system. Well, yeah, the uh, the public library in the, the area, we know the story of that one. But uh, Yeah, 725-BOOK. 
It was just, yeah, it was just the card catalog. I mean, it wasn't anything that... I always like felt like I was, like, breaking into a system when I called that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really publicize it that much. It was... On the one hand, they said they said that it was mainly for staffers, but at the same time, it was also in the library system's newsletter, which was displayed out in the public areas of the library. How long did that stay up and running? I... I I don't know. I, I don't know. I think they did an upgrade of uh, back back then. The uh, no, it was actually the, the the library had those touchscreen monochrome card catalogs, and then they went to yeah. like a, like a like a Unix ter- terminal kind of thing, which might have been yeah. like yeah, probably about a year or two into my tenure there, they switched over to they they got rid of those touchscreens where you had to keep going through pages and pages of narrowing down your selections. Yes. And man, that, oh, good times, good times. You know, speaking of library, I, the, the craziest thing was I found out accidentally that my first boss's, well, now ex-husband was a Dark Castle user. Wow. And actually, and actually in the room with me is a turntable that he gave me in 1995, I think. Technic's turntable that he didn't want. So he's like, hey, you want this turntable? Like, sure, I need a good turntable. And I have it still you probably can't kill it either it's probably solid as a rock right well it does uh, the reason that it's in the room where i am now and not connected is that my wife doesn't like it because it keeps slipping into 45 randomly when listening to 33 oh so at her insistence we got a different turntable which is a really cool one too but you know anyway is there anything else that we should uh, mention here, or should we call it a uh, a day and say that the episode is done? Or well, there's this one memory that really sticks out in my brain, and that's at I think the first Winger War where yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it involve a water <laughs> balloon hitting someone's denim and on the right side and like? Man, you're reading my mind. <laughs> All right, I think with that, I think we should probably wrap this up here. Uh, we've been going for a while, and. Um have a lot of memories and some of them good some of them hilarious like sean getting hit in the crotch with a water balloon and enough content i cut that one out please <laughs> so thank you uh, bob and andrew for joining yes, us thank you bob and andrew for joining us and thank you also by the way to mark super mike hat and jay new store yeah new store no new balance stores phoenix underground retrocade christian williams d alex lance andres richard valdez kurt musgrave timmy mac pj Steele, art guglielmo air shack steve steiner rory coleman frank o dragon kyle Etter, atari bites the SNES podcast, Richard Grounds, Tim Foley, Nate Lockhart, and Keith Sheehan. Thank you for sponsoring us over Patreon. Uh, by the way, we apologize for uh, the inadvertent collecting of uh, the monthly uh, donations. Uh, when we said we weren't going to do that, uh, we didn't know that it turned back on accidentally. So we'll uh, do that again. We'll turn it off for another month. Well, thank you, Sean. And thank you, Jim. It was fun. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a lot and- of fun. We will uh, see you. Uh, we will talk to you all again in a couple of weeks. Where our games are—I don't remember. One of them was um, Daytona USA, and the other was Bump and Jump. Bump and Jump. There bump we go. Bump and Jump. Yes. Yeah. So there we are. And I will. Um, uh, you have a thing to end the show with, Sean? Well, I just want to end this BBS talk. I'm bored. Ah, there we go. Uh, okay. We'll see y'all later. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. 
opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Show's over at 8.30. Anyways, it was fun. Yes, it, it definitely was. So hopefully was, we can do this again sometime. Yeah, that hopefully. was a winger war, but, you know. Where Sean got hit in the crotch with a water balloon? Yeah, I remember that one time. I don't remember that. I would have blocked out that memory, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Please tell me more. Give me the details. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to share our um, our link to our uh, Google Drive share. Nah, I'll just put it up on my website. You'll have yeah, to just put it okay. Put it well, I shared the link anyway, so if you well, want to drop bad. it. I'm not gonna, no, I'm not going to look at it because it's Google. Then they'll know that I looked at your stuff. Oh, no. I, want, I, I do not want Bezos knowing I'm looking at your stuff. Bezos? Bezos. Yeah, Bezos. He doesn't own Google. Or, no, okay, well, they sort of... I don't of remember do. the guy who owns... I don't remember who owns Google. I got Amazon on the brain. Never mind. So, how much is this going to be edited down? If Hyde edits out all the references to uh, getting hit in the crotch by a winger, eh, it'll yeah, probably be about I have ten like minutes. Five minutes back. Yeah. This movie has been altered from its original format. Oh, all oh, vowels oh. have been removed. You can convert it down to 16-bit 44-1K. Yeah, I'll just right. play it back on a tape, and then I'll digitize the tape at 44-1K.